to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Simple message for you tonight. Stay away from bad people. Stay away from bad people. The Bible says in Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. As we've seen, the fear of the Lord is where it all starts. But the opposite here is that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, what kind of instruction? My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Don't call me son. I'm not your son. That's the spirit of rebellion. And that is the spirit that will lead to our message tonight. But notice he starts with the positive. He says, my son, hear the instruction of thy father. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Well, I don't have to listen to you. I listen to dad. The instruction of thy father is the same as the law of thy mother. And you, parents, let me encourage you. If, if you as the mom feel, well, I can't, I'm not strong. You're, hurt, you're hurting your kids. You're hurting your kids to have two different laws in your house. You, be, you, you teach your kids to be afraid when dad comes home. What you're teaching them is you only have to be afraid when the lawgiver is around. So if dad's not around and no one finds out, you're fine. Now, notice the law of thy mother. I remember specifically my mom saying, I'm afraid of not disciplining you because I'll be in trouble with your dad. Now, how politically incorrect is that? <laughs> but it's the way it's supposed to be. Mom is not supposed to be the nice one and dad's the mean one. They're both supposed to have, they're supposed to be on the same page. And isn't it true? Kids, one of the first lessons they learn is how to split the authorities up. And you go to dad and you say, well, if dad's the nice one, in other words, dad lets you do what you want. That's the definition of nice. How wicked is that? Right? Okay, so go to dad. Well, dad said it's okay. Pressure, pressure, pressure. This is a hard lesson to learn. This is not a lesson about parenting, but it's so obvious because kids will say, well, mom said, as if somehow they can get in between you and your spouse. Uh, that's a dangerous thing. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. And when it does happen, apologize to your kids. I'm sorry. I, I, allowed, I, I allowed there to be a distance between me and your, and your mom, and I should not have done that. That was wrong. We're on the same page. We do the same thing. We say the same thing. And you are in trouble. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Amen. <laughs> no, if your kids aren't a little bit afraid of what you might do. Just a little bit afraid of how wacko you are. <laughs> Psycho. I'm telling you. I know. My dad bought a beautiful torture device for my mom years ago. It was called a ring. And she, she put that on, and I remember what it was like. I remember one time when I was a kid, boom, I got it. And uh, you say, that's, that's horrible. Well, of course it was horrible. I'm the one that got it. Don't you know it was horrible? I know it was horrible. But I'm not saying that you should go around smacking your kids. I'm saying you should mean what you say. And if you don't mean what you say, then don't say it. You're making yourself a liar. Stop saying it if you don't mean it. If you do, maybe, you should, maybe that'll cut down on your vocabulary. Like, you won't say as much. Don't threaten your kids. I mean, it's okay to give them a warning, but if it's not going to be followed up with anything, it's not a warning. It's you not, it's be, being too lazy to get up and do something about it. Amen. You know what happens is you trade some corporate punishment, some physical discipline, right? You trade that for what? A nasty mouth. Before you know it, you trained your kids how to talk nasty to people when they want to get something from them. Just, just cut. The Bible says there's a generation of people whose jaw teeth are as knives, they cut people down. You know who's really good at this? Bible believers. 
as in King James Bible believers. Now, we criticize Nazarenes and, you know, the Methodists and all the rest of that. But, man, we got to be careful that we, they, that we learn to speak the truth in love. Charity edifieth. Charity edifieth. I mean, we can cut people down to shreds. I mean, you know, he, he ain't a Bible believer. He ain't a, be, be careful. The, 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 somebody said that the flip side of discernment is a critical spirit. The ability to destroy people. So we're far afield, but we're coming back. We've wandered far from the text, but now we're coming home, okay? He says here in verse 8, hear the instruction, forsake not the law. Why? Because they shall be an ornament of grace under thy head and chains about thy neck. He's not saying that you'll be in slavery. He's saying you're going to have bling, jewelry. You're going to have accessories. You're going to stand out. You're going to look sharp. That's what instruction coming from two parents on the same page will give. It'll help you stand out at work just for showing up. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. You actually do your job and you don't cuss. You'll stand out in the workplace. It's amazing. And where does that come from? It comes from two parents that care enough to say, here's how we're raising our kid. And we're on the same page. So... He goes on, he says, and then after he says, hear your parents, then he says, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. But listen, if your gang is so great, why do you want me to go with you? If I'm such a nerd, if I'm holding you back and I'm so crazy and weird, why do you want me as part of your gang? I just, I, I just wonder that when I see them. Because people, you know, they can't just be alone. They've got to have a posse. Like, go with me, go with me, go with me. Shh, quiet. <laughs> you know, it's like two women, just can't, they can't go to the restroom on their own. They have to have like a gang with them, you know. And I'm not saying that's sinful, but, you know, it kind of makes you wonder sometimes. <laughs> He says, he says, they're, they're using this inclusive, among us, let us all have one purse, 14. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Notice the distinction between thou and them. Singular versus plural. You ought to be able to stand up against the crowd. And you know what it's going to feel like when you do? You're going to feel like you're wrong, you're weird, you're going to feel shame. And that's good. You know what it's doing? It's burning out the fear of man out of you. You ought to be able to stand against a group of five people and say, I don't care what you say, I'm not doing it. I don't care how you make me feel, I'm not changing my mind. Even, if, even in a crazy world where you knew you were wrong, it would be a good exercise for you to just stand up against somebody at some point in your life. Now, rebels, you don't need to hear that. But the truth is, sometimes we criticize rebels and we say they're, they're, you know, they're horrible people. Yeah, if they're using it for sin, it's a bad thing. But maybe your rebellious kid is going to learn how to stand on his own two feet. If he can get pointed in the right direction, there's hope for him. Remember, it's not the ones who say and do not. It's the ones who say, I will not, but afterwards repent and do. He said, which of them did the will of his father? The one that actually did it, even though he was a rebel up front, he repented. Make sure you're not just raising a bunch of kids that are scared of you and always say, yes, sir, and then do whatever they want anyhow. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. And notice the connection between evil and shedding blood. There's, there's calamity. There is a, a destruction in evil. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Now, there are two ways to learn about the awfulness of sin. One is by experience, and one is by listening up. You don't have to do the same stupid things that everybody else has done. You can actually learn and say, oh, I don't want to do that. 
Majority of people are just bound to experience it personally. They are going to have to learn it. I don't care. I believe my, I'm, I will. Hey, by the way, if that's true and you have to experience everything yourself, why do you read Amazon reviews? See, you listen to people when it suits you, but you won't listen to people when it doesn't suit you. And there's something about people that are in authority. They are irritating. If people are irritating in authority, what that means is there's probably something wrong in your heart. Probably something wrong. That's not to say authorities are perfect. If you are mad at your authority, there's probably something wrong in your heart. I said probably just so your old nature doesn't feel too badly. Most of the time, if you, I'm not saying that they're, that they're right or that they've done everything right, but if you've got an attitude against your authority, there is something wrong in your heart. You've got to be careful. You've got to be aware of that. Okay? He says here, my son, hear. In verse 8, in verse 10, my son, consent thou not, if... If they entice you. So what Proverbs teaches us, if nothing else, it teaches us that you cannot beat the system. There are physical laws in the universe, and you can only temporarily overcome them, but you cannot break them permanently. If you're going to overcome gravity, you can only do so temporarily. You have to get into another system before you can, and then you've got other problems. See, gravity is a law that can be temporarily overcome by a higher law. But you watch these guys that are trying to put rockets up in space, and they'll have this explosion and that problem, and this little tiny leak, and it's drained out, and that battery fell out, you know, burned up, and, and it's, it's, it's a very dangerous thing trying to overcome laws. You say, well, I'm going to go to the next. Well, when you get out there into outer space, you're going to encounter other laws that you don't have to deal with here. There are laws in the universe, and you can only temporarily overcome them. Did you hear about the astronaut that got left out in space? Or he extended his uh, stay, I don't know, 120 days or something like that. Supposed to be out there for a year. Ended up there for 374 days. That's a long time to be away from any other humans. Why? You just, it's not easy to overcome those laws. You can't overcome them permanently. You have to learn how to work within that system. You're trying to push away from all laws. It's not going to work. You know the laws that people have who live in, in, in uh, who have rebelled against their rules, uh, parents' rules, gotten away from church, gotten away from God, gotten away from everything. You know, they now have new rules called the repo agent. They have new rules called, called, called the, uh, the parole officer. There are rules to the world. You cannot live without rules. There's going to be a rule. And, and you say, well, I can break this one and I can break that one. Well, you be careful because what you're doing is you're trying to invent a world that cannot be invented. It's no different than saying, I want to create jello by banging my head against the wall. You say, that doesn't make any sense. That's what I'm saying. It cannot be done. You cannot live in a world with no rules. There will be different rules, but there will be rules. Proverbs says you can't break the system. You can't beat it. You reap what you sow. Be sure your sin will find you out. So let me just start out by saying, he says in verse number 10, my son, if sinners entice thee, this is something that we have to remind ourselves of. Number one, there is such a thing as sin. There is such a thing as sin. Sin is the violation of divine law. And there's a distinction in Scripture between sin and evil. And we won't go into it tonight, but the, but the Scripture says, um, is there evil in the city and the Lord hath not done it? I make peace and create evil. Evil is not a synonym for sin. There is a distinction there. We won't go into it, but I want you to think about that. Uh, evil is more of the result of living in a fallen world because of sin. It's more the result of sin. Uh, destruction. Um, God brings uh, war. God is a, a, he is a man of war. A God of war. And so he does bring destruction. But he never brings a violation of his law. 
The Bible tells us in Proverbs 14, if you're there in Proverbs, look at chapter 14, look at verse number 9. Proverbs 14, 9. I'm going to show you how LGBTQIA plus was introduced into American culture. Proverbs chapter 14, look at verse 9. Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Okay? You know when Ozzie and Harriet, uh, the television show Black and White, they did not show Ozzie and Harriet ever in the same bed. They were husband and wife. If, I'm, if I remember right, they were husband and wife in real life, and they were uh, husband and wife on the show, Ozzie and Harriet. And they still didn't show them in the same bed. Why? They said that's private, that's personal. That's not public's business. But over time, you know, now we have introduced uh, a, a culture in which, you, get, you know, coming into Halloween season, man, you're going to see some crazy stuff. And now what's going on? Well, you know, Gay Pride Month is not enough. Well, now we have LGBTQ History Month, right? We've got to find some way to celebrate it all the time. And the way it started was uh, it started by laughter. It started by emotions and feelings. That's how the devil gets that. By the way, um, the, the reason why people listen to bad music is because of the way it makes them feel, not because of the way it makes them think. A lot of people, they're not even thinking about the lyrics. They're thinking about how it makes them feel. And uh, we make a mock. If we can make a light of something, we laugh at something. It's no different from what the Romans, the Greeks have always, you know, they did. Go back to uh, Babylon. They put on plays, and they call them tragedies uh, or comedies. And, and the idea is, let's objectify this and let's think about the world and the universe and the culture by having a story. And let's hire these people to come on and, and, uh, and put on a show for us. And we'll think about it and we'll laugh and we'll, we'll cry and then we'll go home. And, and you know what you'll do? You'll begin little by little adopting that philosophy into your life. But you think, it's not me. I'm not doing it. I'm watching them do it. I'm not doing it. I, I, I would never. But you're, but you're watching it. Fools make a mock at sin. And have you not seen in your own heart how there are certain things that you used to think were bad and now over time you don't think they're as bad? And then we say, well, that's, you know, a lot of Christians, people were crazy back in the 60s and 70s. You think they were crazy in the 60s and 70s? You should go back to the 30s. Yeah, I mean, you want to think about, you want to talk about crazy? Go back to the 1870s. People were, it's a cycle. People go through this, it always happens. Uh, we, we say, well, that's okay, that's okay, that's no big deal, that's no big deal. And truth be told, some things are no big deal. But the concept that something is a big deal must remain. If it doesn't remain, then you become your own God. Something has to be a big deal. If nothing is a big deal, then you better be careful. It's not, it's not that there's not such a thing. It's that sin becomes relabeled. It's not that there's no sin. It's that someone switches the price tags. And so now what's the big sin in America? And it's less so than it was even five years ago. Now the big sin is intolerance. Still, we have sins. Intolerance is one of the biggest sins. Racism is one of the biggest sins. It's the worst thing you could possibly think of. What's amazing is that you've got Martin Luther King Jr. who says, I, want, I dream of a world where a man will be judged by the content of his character, not the color of his skin. And we live in a world that's exactly the opposite today of that dream. Foolishness. Why? Because people keep saying, nothing's a big deal, nothing's a big deal, nothing's a big deal. Let's ease off, ease off. Be careful. When someone tells you that, they are, they are redirecting your attention and they're changing what is sin. It's a shell game. They're saying, well, that's, that's no longer sinful. Okay, well, what is sinful? Because what happens is, when it's no longer sinful to say that, uh, it's no longer okay to say that homosexuality is sinful, what is okay to say is sinful? Anyone who says homosexuality is a sin is a sinner. Sin is still in the world, still in American culture. It's just a shell game. And, well, I don't know about you, 
That's too much for me to try to figure out. I just want to tell you, here's what I believe. This was here before I ever came. It's going to be here after I leave. This is where you're going to find me. Hey, that's a whole lot easier. You want to know what I believe? It was written down before any of us, our grandparents, were ever born. And so ease off, man. I want to see what you believe. You know what you believe? You believe that whatever you want to believe in that day is okay. And you want it to be able to adjust and morph as someone that you admire sees fit. So you have people who loudly say, yes, we stand behind the, the, the uh, LGBT, and I'm using LGBT because it's such an easy foil, but we stand behind them, we support them. Okay, well then if you support them, do you support the trans movement? J.K. Rowling found out about this, the author of Harry Potter series. She, she try, they tried to cancel her because she, she didn't want to go along with the trans movement. Hold on a second. I thought she was the darling of the LGBT movement. You see how inconsistent and hypocritical the whole thing is? The devil's behind all this, and he keeps pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And I'm thankful to tell you that uh, it seems to me that there's a little bit of pushback against the nonsense of the trans movement in this world. Absolute nonsense. Uh, and by the way, it's, uh, the, the Lord said, he made male and female. He created them. And the day he created them, male and female. He said, those are the two different genders that we have, that we're working with. But you know what fools will do? Fools come along and they, they mock it. They laugh it. They laugh at it. They, will, they won't come out and say, to say that the Bible is true is sin. But they mock people who say that the Bible is true. They mock it. They don't want to use the word sin. They want to use this, the, the, the inherent moral humanity of, a, you know, it goes on and on, but ultimately it's a shell game. So I want you to think about the fact that there is such a thing as sin. And I want to give you next five steps to getting into sin. I want you to hold your place here in Proverbs 1 and look at James chapter 1, verse 14. James chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, if sinners entice thee, if sinners entice thee. You know, it sounds just like a loving father to say, if sinners come along and try to get you to do wrong. You know what someone who wasn't a loving father would say? Stop being a sinner. He said, if, uh, if sinners come along and try to get you, be careful. The Lord's gracious to us. He's saying, look, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You don't want to be a sinner. And he says in James 1, verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Here are the five steps to getting into sin. Number one, presentation. The idea is presented to you, the enticement. You know, the first warning in Proverbs is against bad company. The first law of wisdom, fear of the Lord. What's the next thing? Stay away from bad people. Stay away from bad people. Get close to God and stay away from people who don't fear God. The problem is that ungodly companions start to work on your inherent lust, the lusts in your old nature. They start drawing you in. Notice he's drawn away. All right? What is that? That's somebody throwing out a lasso and pulling you in. Isn't it funny that people make fun of that? All right? They're trying to pull you in. And they're pulling you in and not forcing you, but they're pulling you in with a desire that you already have. See, the reason why you have to be careful with the sinners is not because you can't ever sin, you don't have any problem with sin. The reason why you've got to be careful is because you have a sin nature. It's there, and you don't have to worry about whether you want to sin. You've got to worry about whether that sin nature gets excited because that sin nature wants to sin. Definitely does. They're not going to come and say, would you, like to, um, w- would you like to burn in lust and have an insatiable desire? Would you like to feel like you're, you're always thirsty? 
no matter how much you drink. And anytime you drink, it just makes your thirst greater. Would you like to have that? They're not going to say that. What they're going to say is, would you, like, would you like a nice, cool glass of sin? But they don't tell you the end of it, right? Sinners are enticing you, not with the guy that smoked his lungs out with emphysema. They're going to entice you with being cool. And that's how the advertiser, what was his name, Edward Bernays, introduced smoking because it was for the ladies. It was, it was like taboo for ladies. But uh, he made it cool. He called them freedom torches. So now when a lady picks it up, she's showing how free she is from the shackles of toxic masculinity. (laughs) You can't tell her that she can't have emphysema. She can have emphysema as much as you. (laughs) She can turn her lungs into tar. Back off. Isn't that crazy? What they're enticing her with is what? Freedom. Freedom. You know what the world entices us with? No different than the, than the devil enticing Eve with the knowledge of good and evil. You're going to know more. You're going to be street. You're going to have more street cred than you've ever had. You're going to be worldly wise. You know the jokes. Like, you know that one rap song where it's like, what does it say right there? Oh, it says da 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 What does that mean? Well, that means this. Hey, you should be wise concerning good and simple concerning evil. But the devil will hold it out like you're not cool enough. I can remember when I was a kid, we didn't watch a lot of television. And uh, so I was always, you know, we're always the new kid on the block. And we're always the kid that's, you know, kind of just trying to figure out who everybody is. I remember one time, anybody remember playing TV tag? Anybody remember that? Freeze tag? It was called TV tag. I don't even know how it was supposed to work. I don't even know. But, you know, as a kid, it doesn't matter. You're just playing the game. Everybody knows how it works, even though it doesn't work. And I look back, and I'm like, what was the rules of that game? And I can't remember. But the idea was somehow, before someone could tag you, you would say the name of a television show. And, and then, you know, I would say shows. I had no idea, because I hardly knew any shows. But I knew the names of shows. And I got really quick. I, I would be quick to pick up on these different ones, you know. And uh, I remember there was a show called Different Strokes. And I don't, I don't know that I've ever, I think I've probably seen it on YouTube now or seen it on MeTV or something. I don't, you know, it's just, it's not, I guess different strokes for different folks. It didn't really speak to me per se. But, um, but I remember as a kid, I was like, they came to tag me, different strokes. And it's kind of funny now when I think about that. What was it? Well, it's a foolish example, kind of a silly example. But the idea was, I didn't want to be the kid that didn't know the stuff. I didn't want to be the, the person that was weird. And, of course, it didn't matter anyhow. It was going to be weird anyhow. But that's, what is that? That's that desire to be accepted by a group of people who have secret knowledge. They know things. You know, in America, we're thrown more inside innuendo than our grandparents ever heard in the military service. We know more about what should never be mentioned. Why? It's just a a pipe of sewer directed into our phones. We've got to be careful. The presentation. So he, he said, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. They work on your lust. The idea is presented to you. That's first, presentation. Number two, illumination. Illumination. Now, this is a very important place. Because illumination is when you perceive that whatever this thing is, is wrong. You perceive that it's wrong. So the idea is presented to you, you see it, and you go, that's wrong. Like, instinctively, you know whether you should be looking at it or not. When Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph... She presented herself to him, and what did he say? How can I do this great evil and sin against God? I can't do it. He knew it was wrong. Illumination. It is the word of God in your heart that acts as your illumination. He said, I will hide, thy, hide its words in my heart that I might not what? 
sin against God. You see, you may not, the reason why you read the scripture may not be just to make you feel like a million bucks today. It may be to remind you that there is a God and that there is such a thing as sin so that you are ready for it when it shows up, when it's presented to you. That's sin. Number three, debate. First of all, there's presentation. Secondly, illumination. Thirdly, debate. This is where we argue about whether or not it's wrong. The debate will say something like this. Well, well, I mean, the first, very first debate was, yea, hath God said. Where in the Bible does it say that? Chapter and verse. It's not really sin. It might be sin for other people that have a, a greater struggle. I know when to stop. Nobody's around. It's not really that bad, right? These are all things that we say to ourselves. But I will, I will, you can mark this one down. If you debate, you will sin. If you debate, you will sin. Maybe not that day particularly, because maybe there are people around and you're too afraid for people to see you do it. If you start debating it, you will sin. I want you to, I want you to hold your place and look at Luke chapter 11. Look at Luke chapter 11. This verse here, I think it kind of skewers a lot of Laodiceans. What's the beginning of knowledge according to Proverbs? It's the beginning of of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and it's the beginning of knowledge. Look what it says in Luke 11.52. Luke 11.52. Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. What's the key of knowledge? The fear of the Lord. To say, I'm going to give God the benefit of the doubt. God said, go in there. I'm going in. I'm not asking, debating. I'm not questioning it. If he said, go in, I go in. If he said, don't go in, I don't go in. Well, here the lawyers come along, and and there's a sign that says, God says, go in. And they say, well, yeah, but did he say when? How often do you have to go in? How long do you have to stay in? I'm not saying you shouldn't go in. I'm just saying maybe now is not the time. The lawyers, of course, for a fee, help you get around the law. They help you get around the law. Be careful of hanging out with people that are constantly helping you understand that the things you used to think were sin are not actually sinful. It's really okay. It's fine. Be careful following people who make a mock at sin. Listen, if you're going to make a mock at sin, at least, and this is, this is, you shouldn't make a mock at sin at all, but I hope it's not a Christian that's helping you figure out that things are, that are, are okay. I hope it's not a Christian that's mocking sin. We've got to be careful with who we follow, who we watch, what we consider funny. Why? Because once I enter into a debate about whether or not something is sin, it is just a matter of time before it is a part of my normal routine. It changes how I think. Now I'm, I'm you, and what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is everybody just gets, we, we take you to prison and we put you in chains and that's all you have. That's what the devil has always said. The alternative to you getting what you want is to be in chains. And it's not true. In fact, Solomon said, you'll be in chains like Mr. T gold chains. Like you'll be popular. You will be flashy or fashionable. You will look nice and you will have a great reputation. That's what he said about following the instruction of your father and your mother. But the devil comes along and says, no, no, if you follow the instruction of your mom and dad, you're going to be a dork. Nobody's going to, you're going to be so far behind the times. He's always said it. And what, how does he do? He draws you onto the field of debate. And he asks you a question that you can't answer. And everybody knows if you ask a question that, that, that no one can answer, that person now becomes God. Don't you realize the devil is good at asking questions that you cannot answer? I, I don't know about you. In my, in my Christian life, there are questions I have about God. I'll run into something and I'll go, oh, 
I don't know the answer to that. I guess maybe the Bible's not true then. You know what the Lord allows? He allows those questions so that you can walk by faith and trust him. Give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, when my wife comes home 30 minutes late from the grocery store, I don't say, what's his name? Who, who, who was it? Who was it? I, I was just, I, I, I was browsing. No, you weren't. You got to have faith. You got to have trust. Well, I don't know what those extra 30 minutes were. What was she doing? The devil comes along and says, you know the reason why God asked you to do that? I'll tell you why. Because God is up to no good. He wants to hurt you. You know why your parents ask you to do this? Why they make a big deal out of that? You know why they do that? Because they don't care about you. That's why. They don't want you to grow up and be your own person. They want to control you because they're afraid of what people at church think about you. They're afraid of what people at church think about them. That's why they're so controlling. They want to constrict you. They want to choke you out because they really want to be accepted at church. That is a satanic lie. I will, I will say this. We all care about what people think of us. Yes, we do. But I promise you, your parents care more about what God thinks of them than what the people at church think about them. I know this. When I was here 15, well, it's hard to believe how long ago, uh, 04, 19 years ago, when we first came, I remember distinctly one of my kids running. It wouldn't have been John. He was always well-behaved. It was, it was another one. <laughs> Wouldn't have been, wouldn't, it might have been Ben. He was the one that would, you know, he was crazy. Remember Tim, Tim Ely, he would talk about when I first came in to church and there was Benny. No, that was, it was Anthony Rudolph. He said, the first time I came into church, uh, the first time I ever saw Benny, he was just laying on the ground, looking up at the sky. He's like, what's going on, Benny? What's going on? It was so good. That's Benny. It might've been Benny. But I remember as a young parent, been married, I don't know, uh, five years or so. We had about seven kids, I think, by that point. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember watching them, those kids, and they were, they were running around. One of my kids or two of them, they were tearing around. And I, I, remember, I remember saying, don't you get, I remember thinking, get over here. And then I realized that the reason why I, was, I wanted my kids to behave in that moment was because there were other people that were watching and they saw my kid, you know, I'm an assistant pastor. You know what that means? Our kids are perfect, <laughs> right? And, and, think, and you know what? The Lord made me choose. Do you, do you want to discipline your kids and raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord or in the admonition of everybody else? The reason why I say that is I can promise you your parents care more about what God thinks about them than anybody else. But the devil will come along and he will lie to you and he will say, your dad doesn't really care about you. He just, he struggles because he didn't have a good relationship with his dad. Isn't it funny how we're all psychologists now? And, 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 and what the psychologist doesn't tell you is you can keep blaming people all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And guess what they were doing in the Garden of Eden? Blaming other people. It's always been that way. Why? It's hardwired in old man nature to blame other people for my sin or to excuse my sin because of their sin. It's classic. It always happens. It always will. You need to take a good look at yourself in the mirror and say, you are sneaky. You're trying to get what you want and you want to make it look like it's right even though you know it's not. You ought to say that to yourself about once uh, every day. Hey, why? Because it is true. The debate is where the devil gets us. But the devil doesn't even have to be alive. Because the old nature is there, and it will function very well without satanic influence. It's doing great so far. Flip Wilson used to blame the devil, didn't he? He was an idiot. <laughs> so debate. When Jesus was tempted, what did he do? No debate. He said, it is written. It is written. That's why it's so important to hide God's word in your heart. So let me just challenge you this. If you're saved and you struggle with your parents, and I'm talking to kids tonight a lot. If you struggle with your parents, what they say, 
Just challenge yourself. Do something different. The next time your parents say something to you and it just in you, you're like, ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, next time I feel that cannot ask the Holy Spirit to bring a scripture verse to mind. And if he does it, submit to it right away. Just I'm not saying for the rest of your life one time. Try it. Submit to the verse that comes to mind right away. If you will do that, you know what you'll do? Number one, you'll honor your God. Number number two, you'll tell your old nature to shut up. I can live differently than this old nature says I have to live. It'll be a great exercise for you. Next time, by the way, next time you're mad at your wife, ask the Holy Spirit to bring a verse to mind. Next time, your husband, mmm. Now, I don't know. I'm not, this is that personal experience. This is like other people. I hear about things all the time. And, and it, it, if that verse comes to mind, yield to it right away. Do not debate it. Do not argue with it. Do not pretend that you're some kind of a superpower lawyer that thinks better and higher than everybody else. Get off your high horse. Get on the ground under the Bible and say, I submit to your word, God. You know one thing that the, the Muslims have right continually bowing before their God. Now, it's, the false, it's a false God. But that is right to do. Continually bow, whether physically, but certainly in your heart. Bow to God. Don't debate. If you find it easy to debate an issue, instead of just saying no, there is a flaw in your character somewhere. He said, woe unto you lawyers. You don't fear God. You fear not getting to do what you want. So don't entertain the idea at all of this thing. Once you are illuminated that something is sinful, it's sinful. Period. End of discussion. It would be better for you to function that way five years than for you to argue and debate about how some Christians go too far and some Christians think they're so great. You know what? Just get in the harness and stay there. Stay there for a while. You know what a lot of second generation Christians do? They look back at their parents who came out of the drug scene, the hippie scene, and they're like, man, I'm so superior to them. By the way, may I remind you, and I'm serious, I don't think we have any rebels here, and I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking in general. Sometimes I say things that I'm irritated about. And I'm a second-generation Christian, so I know. We think, well, my parents or my grandparents, they were really too strict on some things. They really, really pushed too hard. Well, what are you strict about? What bothers you? What sinful thing bothers you? Is there anything that bothers you? Well, they were so strict. They were so, what are you strict about? What rules do you have that you won't break? Are you some kind of special human that doesn't have to follow rules? It would be better for you to think, I can't, I shouldn't, I can't, I shouldn't, than to think, I can do whatever I want and there's no such thing as sin. I can just enjoy the world and have fun. Guys, that's not healthy for a Christian. It's not. Can you do whatever you want? Yes, you can. But there are consequences to doing whatever you want. Can a Christian drink? Of course a Christian can drink. That doesn't mean he should. A Christian can look at pornography too. A Christian can commit adultery. A Christian can kill someone. And that's the really bad one, to kill somebody. Right? It doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should lay out a sin, Christians. You need to grow up and stop whining about the fact that you can't do what all the sinners are doing. You're not here to live for them and enjoy them. You're here to please and glorify your Father who has a really nice place ready for you when you leave this world. You know who their Father is doing? What their Father is preparing for them? They ain't good. He shows them all the love right now, like a, like a father who dotes on his kids and showers them with, but he can't say no. You're hurting your kid. The devil wants to hurt you. He wants to, he wants to tell you that God's a meanie head. 
He just does things because you're not allowed to dance. Baptists can't dance. I'm like, if you want to dance, break it down. (laughs) Go for it. But just stop trying to say that that's what God wants you to do. Unless you're doing an Israeli cultural dance, don't come to me with the Bible and say, God wants me to break it down. Christians can do it. Of course they can. A lot of them are doing it. It doesn't mean God wants you to do it. Are you with me? We spend a lot of time in the ethereal. Sometimes we just got to come down to where we live. And, and by the way, I just really wish God would let me dance. And it's just like, it's so hard to be a Christian that can't dance. Oh, please. If it's going to make you feel better, just go dance. And then when you get done, say, Lord, what did you think of that? (laughs) That was for you, Lord. (laughs) Everybody knows that ain't true. And by the way, please don't send me a video. I don't want to see it. I'm not interested. And don't post it anywhere. We've got a lot of white people in this church. Number, number, number four. So we go from presentation to illumination to debate. And then four is consent. Now here's the scary part. Because he said in Proverbs 1.10, My son, if sinners entice thee. What's the next word? Consent. Consent. Here's the, here is the word consent. Can you, can you imagine what, what consent means? Con, first, C-O-N, means With. And then what do you think scent would mean? It means feeling. It means with sense, with feeling. In other words, I have the same feeling as this person with whom I am consenting. You know, in 1950, I think they say 1955 is when the term um, consenting adults first came about. It's okay as long as people are okay with it. Right? That's what consent is all about. The problem with that is people will try to get you to feel something together with them that is sinful against God. So just because you and this person agree that it's okay because we both feel the same way about it, Be careful. If all of your friends always agree with you, you don't have any friends. You ought to have a friend that lifts you up. Well, I don't want to hang out with them because they challenge me spiritually. That should show where you are. You ought to be seeking out people who will lift you up. Here, these are people that are bringing them down and making them feel. So he says, consent thou not. And and, and he says in Proverbs, are you in Proverbs? Look at chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, he says here, in verse number 14, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor what? Standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is where? In the law of the Lord. And in his law did you meditate day and night. So you see the progression? Walketh not in the counsel of the godly, standeth in the way of sinners, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The progression is who you hang out with is who you will become. Who you follow online is how you will think. He said, consent thou not. Do not feel the same thing that they feel. Do not feel the same thing that they feel. So first is presentation. The idea is presented to you. Then illumination. You perceive that something is wrong. This is wrong. Number three, debate, arguing. Christians, we should not get to this point. This is how sin happens. We should not get to debate because the next thing that follows is consent. You agree that it's okay. And then the last step is action. You do it. James tells us when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. This reminds us that we have the ability to choose. 
He said, consent thou not. You can choose whether or not you believe it, whether or not you agree with it, whether or not you will feel the same thing as this person. Come on, it's not so bad. Take your Bibles to one final place, chapter 13, if you would, verse 20. They're getting ready to argue in the Supreme Court about, okay, well, we're sending abortion back to the states, but what about the abortion pill? It's the same old, same old thing. We want to do what we want to do, and we want it to be legal and celebrated. Why? Because the heart of man knows when he does evil, and he wants to get a bunch of sinners around him that all say the same thing. So I watch this show, and I laugh, and everybody I know laughs about it, so that must mean what? It's okay. Because we think it's funny. What about what God thinks? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So first of all, don't hang out in places where you're going to be presented with sin. Number two, when you know that it's sin, or you think it's sin, run. Number three, don't debate. Simply refuse to debate whether or not it's sin. Hey, listen, if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. It would be better for you to think that something is sin for an amount of time and God to reveal to you that it's okay and it's really not sin than for you to go on and say, I'm not sure if it's sin, I'm not sure, but I don't know, I can't believe in a God that wouldn't let me enjoy myself. That's harmful. So don't debate it. And if you never, and then next, if you don't debate it, you'll never follow the next step, which is consent to it, agree with it. And if you never agree with it, you won't do it. So how do we do this? Number one, don't do it. How do we deal with sin? Number one, don't do it. Number two, agree with God against yourself. Agree with God against other people. Number three, stop debating it. Stop arguing about whether it's okay or not okay. Just say, God, I'd rather follow you. Go back to what God has said in his word. And number two, and number one, stop hanging out in places where you're likely to run into people who entice you. Stop following people online who entice you into debate, entice you into sin. Stop listening to music that draws you in and makes you question whether or not you should be doing this and why wouldn't I be allowed to and why can't we ever do anything fun? It's not of God. And if you'll follow these five steps and keep an eye on them, God can help you to avoid sin. Sin is something that we all have to be confronted with and deal with, but you don't have to do it. He said, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If and if, if, he says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You don't have to sin. You don't have to live a life full of sin. You can actually make a choice. And if you'll follow some of these steps here, I believe God will help you to get victory over those sins. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight.